This is a Triple J podcast. Hello, hello. I'm Joe Lauder. This is the Friday Shake Up on Hack. It's where we talk about all the biggest topics of the week. And this week, it's been big. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the world. And this is what we're chatting about today. Hack! Under the Privacy Act, all registered political parties are entitled to contact Australians via text. He thinks that we need to get unemployment up to 40 to 50% to really teach these damn workers a lesson. One important question that you should be asking yourself is, do you have a third place on Triple J? Yeah, what's your third place? What is a third place? They're kind of communal public squares or areas that aren't your work and aren't your home. Do you think Australia doesn't have as many third places as European cities or maybe cities in the Middle East and Latin America? We're going to be chatting about that later in the show. We're also going to be talking about the uber-rich property developer who thinks workers don't want to work as as much anymore. He wants unemployment to be up and he also wants more pain in the economy. There's been a lot of backlash and I'm keen to know what you think, so please get your opinions ready for me. But first, I want to introduce you to our shake-up guest for today. We've got Adam Pulford. He's a Greens councillor in Melbourne. And I think because of that, you've got a lot to say about how we design our cities, right? Yes, as, uh, don't get me started on that, but uh, maybe you should get me started on it. Hey, look, I'm actually one of your constituents, <laughs> and so I've probably got a few like pedantic complaints. So, right, I'm on national radio, and I will, I will hold you to account for them. I'm very scared. <laughs> There's an intersection. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and I've also got Matilda Bosley with me. She is the Guardian's queen of TikTok. Matilda, since I last saw you here on The Shake Up a little while ago, you've just managed to, like, casually write a book. I wouldn't say casually. <laughs> I, would, I would say that everyone I've ever Very spoken formally. to has heard about and heard me complain deeply about this book for the last 18 months. You've made it seem from this side of the desk effortless. Thank so you so I, much. I'm very impressed. All right, let's get into it. Hack. If you've noticed more political text messages coming to your phone, well, you're not alone. On Triple J. Yeah, you're one of the people who got a text message this week from the No campaign for the referendum. There's been lots of people across the country who got a message from Coalition Senator Jacinta Numbengimba-Price. And in the text message as well, it also has a link for people to register for a postal vote. But the link actually went to a Liberal Party website, which also upset a lot of people. Hack. Political text messaging. A lot of people have written to me about getting that weird text message from Jacinda Price, even though no one gave her their phone number. They are hitting us hard with text messages. It's a way of stimulating debate in our democracy. It's a, a way of people get, uh, being able to communicate with each other. Unwanted political text messages pinging our phones at all hours of night and day. I can't even find my family's text messages in the barrage of all the political messages that I'm getting. It's just like when Clive Palmer texted all those people around the federal election. On Triple J. Yeah, I want to know, does... This kind of political messaging work for you? Are there other kind of messages that are cutting through a bit more? Call in on 1300 055536 or you can text me. Don't spam me, just text me on 0439 757 Uh Matilda, I, I'm going to say that I don't think this kind of campaigning works on you because apparently you have like hundreds of text messages that you haven't even read. Yeah, so it's up to 526. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm notoriously bad at replying to text messages um, to begin with, but also we just get so many scam texts at this point that twice I have very nearly had 
my internet and then my gas cut off because they were texting me being like, the payment didn't go through. And I was like, (laughs) you pesky scammers, I'm not falling for it. And I should have. So even if I had received one of these texts, I'm not sure I would have even sort of made it through the firewall I've built in my brain for scam texts and things that I just kind of ignore and float right off. Adam, you've run elections before. You've also run for an election yourself as well. Um, Why would the campaign be taking this strategy, would you say? Look, I can see why political parties attempted um, to do these kind of mass text messages. It's really hard, I think, um, in our kind of fragmented media, you know, environments that we're in to make sh- to understand if your message is actually reaching people. But you know if you text someone, it's going to appear in someone's phone. Except Matilda. She's not well, reading it. Yeah. <laughs> it, we haven't Matilda proof that yet. Yeah, but, uh, that's, that's a wasted five cents on me. But look, you, you know, it's a way for them to know that uh, most people will be reading their message. But if it's pissing people off, you know, they're not going to necessarily feel like are they going to absorb your message or not? We don't use, I haven't used messages like um, like that in the past. It's, I, I find it's better to text people that are either already your volunteers or supporters or donors um, because they're a warm audience. And rather than just sending out a blanket message and, and hoping people read it and absorb it and then do what the message says, we're actually trying to have conversations with people and say, hey, I'm your Greens candidate. Here's an opportunity. Are you interested? Let's talk. I was going to ask, what is the gold standard for campaigning and political messaging? What do you find is most effective? The most effective way you can persuade someone to change their vote is to have a one-on-one conversation with them. Now, that can be over text message, um, uh, but it's more important, I think, or more powerful to do that uh, in people in everyday life or over the phone. So that's why door knocking and, you know, dialing parties are so important because you actually have people connecting with other people and having a, a real conversation. I'm going to have to stop you there. I, I disagree because I think what we've learned is that the most uh, effective way of campaigning and breaking through is to crash tackle a child on a soccer field. But <laughs> um, didn't he lose the election? Oh, yeah. no. Oh, my gosh. they got to oh. go back to the text then. <laughs> um, Matilda, but, like, do you think that approach of door knocking, I, I'd be really interested in what you think do you think that works for younger people or do you think these text messages work over maybe having a real conversation or do you think it's more like these days we see so many I mean online videos but also videos coming from people um, maybe like celebrities or influencers or people you just have some kind of parasocial relationship with do you think for our generation that's probably more effective Look, I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, there's kind of the two aspects of maybe there's young people who are a bit undecided. I think that's traditionally how we've viewed it. I'm not sure that stands up in social media. I think everyone is exposed to a certain amount of information already. You're not kind of going against a total blank slate anymore when you're talking to 20-year-olds. I think the question I I think what we've also seen recently is a lot of politicians being on those spaces being on TikTok you know being the friend who's sort of answering the questions we saw that a heap during uh, the federal election and I think that has that aspect of being quite personal like if you're wanting to be on someone's phone and be in someone's you know personal time that's potentially a better way because it's also, uh, you know, people are agreeing to be on the app. They're scrolling through, they see it. Obviously, you can't control exactly where it goes to. But I do think there's that element of a little bit of intrusiveness in terms of how did they get that my number and, and things like that, as well as the question of what really are those text messages saying that people wouldn't have already been exposed to? It was just the 
no campaign slogan, which most people would have seen by this point. On the text line, someone says, if you text me about your political party without my consent, you're going to be last on my preferences. It's like being harassed by a telemarketer. Someone else says, hi, Joe. even worse than a text message is when an envelope turns up. Interesting. I actually thought an envelope would have potentially been a little bit less invasive. Um, Adam, we had the political marketing expert, Andrew Hughes, on. He, he's an expert in this space. And he said this these kind of messages actually work to drive disengagement because people feel overwhelmed and there's a switch off factor and that is potentially a deliberate tactic. What do you make of that? Yeah, I can see how that is a deliberate tactic of certain campaigns. I think um, people are disengaging from politics and from the news. And it's easier to do that now because we get our media in all different ways. You know, we don't have the kind of standard newspaper in the morning and the afternoon that they used to have many, many, (laughs) many, many years ago. Um, And I think uh, often the challenge we have in politics is not necessarily kind of the left or the right. It's the people who are really, really engaged and the people who are disengaged. And how do we actually bring those people um, who are, are not, necessarily following the news and not following what's happening in their community or in their politics, how do we reach them and actually get them interested? Because I think it is in the interests of the people that currently have power to keep people disengaged and out of the fight for a better life, for a better community. Do you think it's a bit of an indictment on our situation as well that I think some people were outraged that they got this message, but I don't think a lot of people were as had the same questioning around like how did they get my number? Because, you know, like Matilda was saying as well, like we're just getting bombarded all the time. Yeah, look, I, I'm um, a media advisor in some of my jobs and so I have to, well, I'm meant to answer um, the unknown numbers that call me and, and usually I do, uh, but that does mean that I pick up a lot of spam or scam phone calls. So I think that, yeah, it's, you know, people aren't wanting to pick up the phone or necessarily check their messages (laughs) um, because they are feeling a bit overwhelmed and um, bamboozled. But I think that also takes us back to the power of one-to-one conversations. If you are someone in your family group or in your friendship group who is a bit more tuned on, you actually have a lot of power because your conversation with your friends and your family um, can help change their views on things and change their votes as well. All right, this is the Friday Shake-Up on Triple J. And right now we're going to talk about your third place. Let me know what your third place is. Hack. It's 2023 and it's time for you to find a third place. Cafes, clubs, bars, libraries, churches, parks, plazas, barbershops. A third place is somewhere people hang out that isn't home and isn't work. On Triple J. Yeah, this is the Friday Shake-Up on Hack with me, Joe Lauder. I've got Greens Councillor for Marybeck in Melbourne. Adam Pulford, and I've also got Guardian reporter Matilda Bosley with me. Now, if you're not at home, if you're not at work, where are you? And what are you doing in that place? Let me know. These are called third places. According to the guy who coined this term, they're communal spaces like cafes or parks or football fields, but they're generally like open to everyone. They're wholesome. They encourage conversation and social mixing. They're basically, they're places that foster community. And this week, a travel writer, Ben Groundwater, he wrote this really interesting piece about how this is what a lot of Australian cities are missing. He reckons generally that they don't have them. And the exception that he said is Melbourne. 
Um, I'm biased because I live here. I agree with him, but he actually doesn't live here. But I'd be really interested to know what you think. Do you think Australia does third place as well? Or what what would you like to see more of? Or what is your third place? Let me know. You can call in on 1300 055536 or text in on 0439 75 Adam, what is your favourite kind of third place? Well... I love a good park or a good cafe, um, but I should also say my local library as well. Oh, wholesome. I thought you were going to be like straight to the like Italian piazza. Oh, look, I mean, you know, <laughs> if I had one readily available, I've got an Italian partner, but not an Italian piazza, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's next. What about you, Matilda? Yeah, it's it's a good question because when we're talking about it, I'm just thinking about how little I venture out of the home when it's not for work or supermarket shopping, where it's like there really isn't a place that it almost feels worth it to make the trek out. I think there's definitely elements of, you know, when you're in transit, you have a little while to kill, you know, or sitting at uh, you know Federation Square and things like that but I do think there's that element of that where that's not necessarily fostering community in the same way that we're talking about because you know if someone if I was sitting at Federation Square and someone came up and started a conversation like that's the worst that's a worst case that's scenario conversation ender. yeah that's um that's in. that's a nightmare uh but also I do think that it is really important because I think what we you know, as we be- this as society becomes less and less religious and more secular we one thing we kind of don't uh, you know, we, we're sort of doing, uh, communicating less in terms of religion, but that also comes with the loss of church in the loss of a place that you go every Sunday, you see a, peop- a group yeah. of people, you meet them constantly, like how you see your friends every day in high school. Uh, and we've lost that. And I don't think anything's really come to replace it. And in this article, they were talking a lot about, um, like I said, like Italian piazzas or local squares and European cities are really built around them. But it's, it is often churches that are in those in those squares. I've got Michelle from Geelong here. Michelle, you were saying um, you've got a, a, f- a favourite local third place. What is it? We sure do. And it's our local lake in the country town where I grew up. Oh, nice. Yeah. That... And it's it's communal because it's not just uh, the sporty, uh, like you'd think with water skiing and that sort of thing. It's not just that. The local townspeople all go out there as well and They've done a communal get-together into keeping it going when, you know, droughts are on. So it's just made it a pretty big meeting area for all ages. I love to hear it. Thanks so much for calling in. That was Michelle in Geelong and she was saying the local lake is the third place. And it's interesting because that's a natural space, but it sounds like it's also a community space. Um, Adam, it's really interesting when we think of third places, we're often... Um, thinking of like cafes, bars, outdoor restaurants, but that like there, there's still a cost to entry for a lot of them as well, and that can be prohibitive. Yeah, that's right. And I think in Melbourne we are so lucky to have our kind of cafe, bar, restaurant culture, but there's literally a cost to entry, and that is you know a coffee, which these days can be six or seven dollars, um, and not everybody has uh, that money to spend each time they want to get out of their house. So it is really important that we have public spaces that are free entry, and that's places like parks or open spaces like the lake um, or libraries, and that's where I think governments and councils have a responsibility. Now these step up. <laughs> <laughs> these spaces, I think, are even going to become more important you know, in the climate crisis, because as temperatures rise and we have more extreme and longer heat waves, not everybody has air conditioning at home or can afford to put the air conditioning on. uh, And they need a safe place to go that's cool, that can keep them 
um, cool and healthy um, uh, during heat waves, uh, but also that's free to get into. On the text line, one person says, in Australia, our third place is the bush and nature areas. We need to spend more time outdoors at the beach and the forest. More time outdoors will make more people appreciate our unique country and stories. And someone says, my third place is Melbourne bike polo. There's a bunch of wholesome, lovely bike people and everyone's welcome. Someone else says, no corner coffee shops or corner stores. Parks are just a patch of dead grass without them. Matilda, this is really interesting. A few people have said this, and I wanted to ask you about this. They said my new third place, or my third place and the new third place for most people is the internet. Do you think it's true? Do you think it's the same? Oh, that hurts so much because <laughs> it is so true. Uh, that Yes, I mean, that is, like, in a very real way, where a lot of us live currently. There's, we spend borderline a majority of our time there and it is a place where you know if you do it right there's an element of community it's where you communicate with your friends a lot of the time and of course during COVID it was everything we had and I think part of why we're talking about like the renewed third spaces because we've been through that trauma of not having uh, that social connection and recently like I've when we're talking about sort of the community aspect as well, rather than just the space, you know, you have a park, but I also have, you know, joined a local footy team. And that's then, again, structured. I am seeing these people regularly. You form friendships and that's, a yeah, structure of a way to get around kind of our extremely sort of prudish uh, culture when it comes to speaking to people you don't already intimately know. Someone else on the text line agrees with you. They say third spaces in Australia are often surrounded by sport, which Australia does really well. I've always loved going to netball on a Saturday. Um, I love this message as well. Mine is a local fire station and we could use more volunteers too, particularly in rural communities. And then Dane says, Dane here, our third place is a local bowls club. They welcome you with open arms. They have cheap drinks. And there's always a good story from the oldies. That's so interesting because I think when we like romanticise this idea of a lot of international third spaces, there is lots of like community, but also like intergenerational mm. mixing, which is not quite the same, I think, a lot of the time as online spaces. Like, that's something we don't have as much in these spaces. Yeah, all the boomers are on Facebook and all the young people are on TikTok, so <laughs> it is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think um, those of us lucky enough to have a European summer and guilty, I um, uh, actually married my partner there in oh Italy. Oh, my God, congratulations. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> Shout out to my boyfriend... Oh, my husband, Nico. Um, but when we were there and in the European cities, there are these you know, plazas in kind of most of the older cities. And uh, in one of them, I think we were in Venice and um, there were uh, kind of older people sitting down talking and there were younger people kicking the soccer ball against the church wall. And it just felt like much more of a, a neighbourhood really. And we were in the middle of the city. And also like, I think a factor is... Um like how you get to these places. That's also a really big factor in terms of like the a big issue with um Australia that this article highlighted was we've made our home our domain and that's our social domain. Australia has really big houses. We've got like I think some of the biggest houses mm. on average in the world and that's meant that we're like a lot more spread out than a lot of other cities but it means that a lot more people are a lot more car-centric and people get around in cars as well. Yeah, and I think uh, it's a bit of a shame because... Really, um, 
if we have cities, I think the majority of people want our cities to be greener and to be better connected and, you know, for them to be safe for us to get around in. Like if we are going to these third places, we need a safe way to get there. And at the moment, unfortunately, it's mostly by car. Um, But, you know, those same European cities that we're kind of comparing Melbourne to, so many of them have just have... Uh, so much bike infrastructure and many more people take trips by bike and that's good for the climate because it cuts um, emissions but it's also good um, for the environment because it cuts other kinds of pollution it's good for people's health and it does help kind of force social interactions which might sound bad but actually is a part of building um, connection amongst different members of a community. John on the text line says, we're really terrible at it. I actually think in my hometown of Townsville that our lack of third places is contributing to youth crime. And Anthony says, bring it on a ring of seats where you, oh, he says, bring on chatter parks, a ring of seating where you gather and you talk to strangers. And someone else says, our little town used to have undercover playgrounds at two schools, but during COVID high school, high steel fences went up and the community was locked out. (sighs) Matilda, um, I remember a couple of years ago reading this amazing article, which has really stuck with me, and it was saying in all of this that the demographic that misses out the most with third spaces is teenage girls, because I was saying a lot of the time, like, um, the skate parks, and they're really, like, teenage boy-dominated. Also, we know that a lot more um, girls drop out of sports when in their teenage years, so the, the boys often have the sporting facilities. Teenage girls often don't have the money as well to, like, go to cafes or, like, can't go to restaurants and bars. But they found that a way to design public urban spaces for teenage girls that they really love is like swings and really nice lighting. And Mm. I was like, I was so interested in that because like otherwise, like especially, and the safety is a big factor as well, but they often don't have these kind of spaces. Yeah, well, I was first of all, I just flash back to the amount of like photo shoots I had as a 14-year-old with my friends like on the swings, like posing. Um, But genuinely, and I think, you know, I think it does really show the level of fear that young girls live in in our society that when I'm talking about like oh if someone comes and talks to me that's a disaster and you know we have this prudish uh, you know culture around talking to strangers that's from a stranger danger perspective whether that's all justified is a big other question I think but there's definitely the perception with that and, you know, rightly so, that women don't feel safe necessarily in public spaces. You don't you don't risk going up to someone who you don't know and chatting with them a lot of the time, and especially when you're a young girl. Uh, so I do think that there is that issue. They're then, of course, pushed out of sporting. And so it is like, what are you left with? You know, Tumblr blogs writing fan fiction, where some of us grew up. <laughs> On the text line... Um Adam, you're going to love this. Someone says, lots of local councils are trying to make third spaces by creating events and even new spaces that are more accessible. Engage with your council. Did you text that? No, I haven't. And then <laughs> Danny Manley says, the third place when you're a kid, it's the mall. Mall rats unite. Someone else says, I'm from Western Victoria, so bars and cafes are not readily available, but my space is my third space is the bush and the mountains and the lakes and anywhere I actually that I get away from town. Hack. People decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that has had a massive issue on productivity. On Triple Jack. Yeah, you might have seen the backlash over these comments that were made by a property developer and millionaire called Tim Gurner. He reckons tradies are lazy, workers need to be more grateful, unemployment needs to be way higher. It was pretty controversial and he's apologised after the backlash. But what do you think? I want to know. Call in on 1300 555 or text on 0439 75 Here's just a bit more of the backlash to those comments. 
Hack. The millionaire Melbourne property developer who infamously said millennials need to stop buying avocado toast if they want to buy a home is back. Tim Gurner has apologised for the comments he made on unemployment and productivity. Tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40-50%. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer. And this is just another example of how out of touch these billionaires and multi-millionaires really are. Good luck to Tim Gurner on his next recruiting campaign, trying to get people to work for him. <laughs> on Triple Jack. Yeah, pretty controversial. Tradie Rob on the text line says he's probably never done a hard day's work in his life. Um, and someone else says, this guy's already backtracked on the comments after the backlash, but it shows that he really felt this about us. Adam, this guy's got a bit of form. He was the guy that came up with the whole smashed avocado thing. Do you think he's just doing it for our age or he actually believes this? I think he um, got caught saying the quiet part out loud where we finally uh, get an insight to how multi-millionaires or billionaires think about the rest of us. And honestly, happy to see his fall from grace, although I don't think he really had that much grace to begin with. I think, yeah, it's just so out of touch and so... Uh, offensive, really, like saying that people need to feel pain. It's like he has a thing for control or something, you know, maybe that's something he wants to explore. But I think it shouldn't be at the cost to everybody else. Yeah, unemployment especially, like there is, when we're talking about economic pain, it's also a lot of the time this is people's personal pain. Matilda, just to play the devil's advocate though, do you think he has a bit of a point that we no longer feel so reverential about our employers who was saying like there's this attitude now that workers feel like the employer is extremely lucky to have us have you heard that yeah I mean uh, he, he kind of does have a point it's a good thing to be clear uh it's a great thing that's happening um but I do think there genuinely has been a large social shift post-COVID where we are looking at work is us selling our time to a company. And, you know, if you want me to go above and beyond, pay me above and beyond. You have the whole quiet quitting versus work your wage, which is what quiet quitting actually was. And just overall, this understanding that we have been sold this narrative that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you do? Like everything, all our achievements have been based around the workplace for a long time. Uh, And we're now being like, no, actually, I kind of like would be all right with a job that means I can live comfortably. And then, you know, I become like really good at mountain climbing. And like, that's the dream. And that's the goal. And I think, you know, we are really seeing this push away from hustle culture and more, you know, you work so you can live in the other way. And like, yeah, employers should be scared about it. It's not good news for them. It's the right thing that's happening. But it's almost kind of reassuring to see that it's at least gotten under their collar enough that we're now having, you know, some of the loudest, uh, most controversial voices, but still people speaking out about it and are worried. Yeah, I think there is a point that we all just want to hang out in our third places, right? We'd rather <laughs> be cha- playing chess in the in the community square. Um, but Adam, do you agree? Do you think the tide is turning and that bosses and corporations are worrying about this, this change in mentality that we have to work? I mean, I hope so. I think, um, so my partner's at Melbourne Uni and they've been uh, fighting for a better wage deal and better conditions and he's been um, striking recently. He was at a rally yesterday and he told me one of the speakers was talking about um, that, you know, work, labour isn't a commodity, you know, it's, it is your time, as Matilda was saying, and they have, they can 
purchase that from you through your wages for a certain time, but they can't expect you to go above and beyond and work overtime or mark um, essays or exams outside of hours you're being paid for. Um, the speaker at the rally said, you know, effectively, we're not human doings, right? We're human beings. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but like life is more than work. We have, I'm more than a worker. I'm a son. I'm a partner. I'm a friend, you know? Um, so we have different demands on us from different areas in our life and work shouldn't be the thing that consumes us all. On the text line, someone said, this story and the third place story are totally connected. How can you even have a third place if you spend 40 hours a week at work and you're supposedly meant to have 40 hours a week at home? Moe in Melbourne says, this guy's trying to just stir us up and maybe drive some more business towards himself. I don't know if that's working so well. Luke says, employers are lucky to have employees. And Brad in Horsham says, it's generalising too much. Not everyone is lazy. There are so many people trying to find work. Super interesting. Just quickly, Matilda, before we hit the news, do you think this is part of a broader cultural moment as well where I'm going to describe it as eat the rich, but I feel like there is, there's definitely something out there like with Succession, um, there was that movie Triangle of Sadness. It's kind of like we're all hating on the ultra, ultra rich now and that says something about our divide. Yeah, I mean, like, it was it's all downhill since the Imagine song from COVID, right, uh, with Gal Gadot. But genuinely, we are starting to look at, okay, what? how did this person get this wealth? How did they get here? How much were they actually responsible for? How much did they get a head start? Which obviously we know is relevant to this conversation as well. And I do think, you know, th- one of the big controversies with Taylor Swift currently is that she's about to become a billionaire and people say, well... We're going to have to eat the billionaires, so she's on the menu, unfortunately. (laughs) She could start giving her money away and stay underneath that. Taylor. Uh, (laughs) Please donate. Don't text me, though. I won't answer. That's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for coming on. That's it for The Shake Up. Big thanks to Matilda Bosley from The Guardian and Adam Pulford, who is a Greens councillor in Victoria. Thanks to them for joining me. It was such an interesting conversation. It's been a really fun week being on Hack. I'll catch you around soon. Bye. Hack. On Triple J. Dee Salmon here, sliding into your podcast feed to let you know that the Hookup Podcast has all the sex and relationship content you need. Honestly, you need us in your life. Join us each week as we talk all things love and f***ing like this. Foreplay is also there so that you have great sex. Like, I don't know about anyone who's given themselves an orgasm in two minutes. Like, it's fine. It's the fast food of orgasms. That's the hookup. If you like hack, you'll love us. Get us wherever you get your pods.